Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Felix Castro. I'm Mark Zelensky. I'm Ben Stoddard. I'm Brandon Rossbond. And I'm Scott Washburn. And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! It's really, I'm really excited. Uh, we have the uh, the band back together uh, with special guest uh, Jeremy. I'm happy that they brought me into their fold uh, to bring you guys another awesome narrative workshop episode. We got a great cast of characters on for you today. We have Felix uh, still kicking in. How are you doing, Felix? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Good, good. Excited to have you on. I know you've been going through a lot lately. Uh, how has it been getting all the love and support from the from the miniature family, from the countercharge family? Has that been nice at all with everything you've been going through? Not unexpected, you know, because this is uh, we've always talked about being a great community. It is kind of funny though, because you know when I'm looking at the comments on the thread on the Facebook post. Uh, dial it back for everybody else, just so they know what he's talking about. Uh, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis last week. So that's been kind of a big change for our family and stuff like that. So I had posted on Facebook about it. And I was at a point where I'm like, oh, that's that's my friend from Australia. Or that, that's my friend from the UK that's that, that that's commenting well wishes and stuff like that. So so that's been it's been pretty heartwarming. It's, it's nice to know when you've got friends everywhere just about everywhere uh, supporting you. And so, so it's been good. It's been good. Like I said, we're just one day at a time. You know, when you have a diagnosis like that, there's not much you can do. So just one day at a time. So. Well, awesome, man. I know uh, all of us would speak to it, but uh, we all got your back, the whole Countercharge family, and I know the, the 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 community at large. So anything you need, you just let us know. And then we got uh, Brandon uh, Rossbon on too. I know Brandon, you got your family's been sick a little bit lately, but I think hopefully you're on the mend now. How you been doing? Uh, doing all right. Besides that, busy, busy as always. Uh, a lot of lot of lot of projects keeping me busy. So um, between Wing Tuster, my freelance, my main job, I am busy. But good, doing really well. It's good to it's good to be back on the show. Good to talk to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that busy but good because there's lots of different types of busy, right? There's busy and not so good, uh, as as Mark does at, at tax time, and then there's busy like you're just doing your thing, busy good. But glad to hear you're you're feeling better. Thank um, you, appreciate it. And we got Ben, Mr. Stoddard on. Thank you, Ben. I did receive all of the stuff that I left at uh, Refugees of the Old World. I did receive your package. We were playing at Refugees of the Old World, and I left this giant box of stuff and then started driving away. I didn't realize I had left it. So finally, months later, it has arrived. So thank you for that. How have you been doing, Ben? I've been doing good. I'm glad to hear you, th- you got that. Uh, we just finished up a semester, uh, the semester for school, so we're starting at a new one. It's quiet point for me now, so it's good time to work on hobby stuff. So I, I'm just quiet. And then we have Mr. Scott Washborn, uh, author extraordinaire. Thanks for coming on. I know we've had you on uh, episodes in the past on Countercharge, Scott, but how's everything been going with you? Uh, very good, actually. Uh, my family's been healthy. No health problems there. Uh, I just retired from my regular job last July, so I'm adjusting to retirement. Um, and oh, and also we have a, a new puppy in the house uh, who is uh, 
oh, what kind a of what real kind of handful, a real handful. But uh, what kind of dog is it? Uh, it's sort of a mixed breed, but it's mostly a a hound of some sort, oh, long cool. floppy ears, and you know that sort of thing. And super uh, cute. I, I think I think it's 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 at least part hellhound because boy, it, it is a real handful to <laughs> deal with. But uh, but we're we're adjusting. Awesome. So overall, we're quite good. Thank you. Cool. And speaking of retirement, we have the man, the myth, the legend, checking in, Mr. Mark Zelensky. How are you doing, Mark? I am hanging in there, Jeremy. How are you? I'm good, my friend. It's great to hear from you. Before we get into the uh, Scott's book and what's going on with Wind Hazar, we're going to do a little roundtable, hobby roundtable. And let's start with you, Mark. How has retirement been uh, treating you? Do you miss us as much as we miss you? What have you been up to? I absolutely do uh, miss you guys, probably more than you miss me, probably. But uh, I absolutely, you mentioned tax season started today. So thank you very much. So this is a great way to kick it off for me. So, but uh, yeah, hopefully things are going to moderate, you know, and uh, I just got to get through April. I do have plans to go to Adepticon, though. So I'm very excited about that. Colin and I got our tickets. So we're just hoping that things will moderate and we'll get a chance to go. So, but uh, hotel check, tickets check events check all we need to do is see the people from a hobby perspective i'm add and all over the place um i tried jumping on and uh hopefully i'll be able to see some people at after dark i've been going to bed earlier and waking up earlier here lately so uh but usually painting in the morning has been my thing i am still working on my basileans and uh and then you know me i've got the add going so i've got uh goblins uh ratkin some halflings I'm building, and then I am also uh, working on uh, night crawlers, as Ronnie would say. So <laughs> I just finished up some butchers. For some reason, I'm painting all the models first, but I got to get all the basing together. So as a matter of fact, I've got my spearman right here that I'm going to be working on, painting some leather probably during the show as uh, we're going along. So awesome. it's very, very good to be back on the airwaves. So. And back on the airwaves, knowing full well that you don't have to edit this episode. Yes, that is that must correct. Make you, that must make you feel warm, <laughs> warm and, and loving inside, right? And Jeremy, my pledge to you is I will convert that into at least two hours of painting time. Oh, well, that's good. Well, I just, I'm ready for the zingers. You know, you're now just raw talent. You're just the talent now. You're not have to do any production. So I'm, uh, you know, just perfect. But I'm excited, man. I know once a part of the Countercharge family, always a part of the Countercharge family is how we feel. So it's really awesome that you've been enjoying your retirement, and it's fantastic to be back on doing an episode with you. So what about you, Felix? I know with everything going on, have you had a chance to do much hobby, or what have you been up to hobby-wise? Might be a little bit, well, it's not a spoiler since you've already downloaded the episode that you're listening to right now, but actually working on halflings. Quite a, quite a lot of halfling painting to do. So on my desk right now is, it looks like a halfling harvester and probably a regiment of halfling braves as part of a Rob's monthly challenge just to start getting paint on the table. But yeah, that's kind of really what I'm doing right now. Yeah, man, that, that range is super sweet. Um, it's definitely in my perpetual ever circling orbit of what's going to be my all mantic army. Halflings right. is definitely there. Yeah, they, they definitely, uh, you know, like, like has been said, probably in the past three or four model ranges, you know, mantic's game's just been getting stepped up, you know, further and further. And so I really like the halfling model. There's a lot of character uh, in the models. Have you seen, I'm a really big fan. I've talked about it on the show a little bit before. I love the jugger upgrade for the cab. They have all like right. the, the tower helmets, very like crusades, you know, yep. 12th, 13th century looking stuff. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, I do. I did buy one box of the Juggernaut slash Stalwarts, trying to withhold buying all the things from my gaming store. Uh, most have been trying to keep it simple to the Braves and and stuff like that. Uh, doing. I love that. I love that. I, I'm trying to withhold from buying all the things. I feel like that on a daily basis is like yeah, my, <laughs> your mantra. It's you it's yourself? slowly eroding away because I bought a <laughs> box of uh, the Stalwarts like two weeks ago. I think the last. Time before that, I was at the store. I bought a uh, box of the um, the Force Trolls, and so slowly but surely, I'm just picking up all the things. So I know my store also has two boxes of the Poachers, at least two more boxes of the Stalwarts. I'm good on Harvesters because I have as many Harvesters as I'm probably going to have at a 2,300 point list with three. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm buying a lot of stuff. I also have an unopened Halfling Army starter box awesome. that's staring at me right now. So yeah. A lot of halflings. I think I have a hundred and hundred uh, hundred braves assembled right now. So, yeah, way to go. Cool. So you're yeah. making good progress. I'm making Ronnie happy. Is what it is. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Finding all these damn direct apps. electronic wire into the coffers of Ronnie's. He's like Scrooge McDuck. He's swimming yep. in all your money. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Ben, I know last time we talked hobby wise, it was like all refugees all the time. You were doing terrain, getting ready for the refugees, which I think was a big success. A great tournament. Have you had any chance post refugees to get back to painting? Did you take a little break or or what have you been up to hobby wise? There's a couple things on my desk. I'm always doing something. I've started up uh, goblins for slow grow, which was a terrible, terrible idea. So many goblins. I've got about 1500 points done from them since about the middle of November. I've been repairing. I don't know. I went, you were there for Jack Lopes and, in Reno, where I spilled my entire elf army from above my head onto the ground, they turned into paratroopers. As one person, oh, said. it was so. It, it's the sound. I know Mark and Felix know it. Any miniature player knows it. Of when you're at a game day or a tournament and you hear that sound, which is the sound of someone dropping their army, yep. and immediately you're like, your 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 heart goes up into your throat. That was that was me. So I've been slowly working at fixing them and piecing them back together, which surprisingly wasn't as bad as it seemed at the first. The biggest casualty from that was my Lord on Dracon, that he was a 3D print with resin, and he just shattered into a bunch of different pieces. So he's the only one that was that. But the rest of them, which is really surprising because there's a lot of Titanforge minis, but I think the saving grace is because I have so many trees on the bases that they cushioned the fall. And so for the vast majority of them, it was pretty salvageable. But yeah, I've been working on that, and then on top of that, and my goblins, I'm helping to put terrain together for Masters coming up in in July because our region's hosting it, and so I'm putting together buildings and painting them and other things for that I can hopefully carry up there with me when I go up in, in July. So Yeah, we'll be having Masters this year in the Pacific Northwest which is great for us West Coast people as it's maybe the, the only the only Masters in five years that I have the option to drive to, which would be exactly. pretty pretty sweet. So we have display board shenanigans in the getting prepped. But yep. um, Well, what about you, Brandon? I know if I remember before listening to you on the show, I think you guys had some D&D stuff going on or, or what do you got going on, uh, whether it's like nerd hobbies or other stuff or what have you been up to lately? D&D group kind of fell to the wayside from COVID. We tried to do it virtually for a little bit and then our DM bailed. So we kind of like split into different groups and uh, with my 
now now going to be two year old son has made it a little harder to try to get D and D together. That plus COVID being ever prevalent. I plan to eventually pick that back up, but uh, as of right now, my nerd side, I uh, I play an MMO called Final Fantasy XIV. It just got its new expansion that dropped either last month or the month before. I forget off the top of my head, but I've been playing that again, which is fun in my very rare free time. Um, and as a fellow comic book enthusiast, I'm sure you can appreciate uh, mm-hmm. Cool Mini or Not had a Kickstarter for their X-Men Marvel United game, which I fully backed because I love the way their miniatures look. I, they're a little on the chibi side, but they have so many different X-Men and Marvel characters. I was like, nope, you know what? Fully booking this. I've never fully kickstarted anything, but this is a definite go. So I picked up the uh, Marvel United base game they came out with with the Avengers. So I've got uh, the core Avengers, and I'm waiting for all the... Uh, I got all the um, add-on campaigns from fully kickstarting, uh, fully backing the X-Men one. So I'm super excited to get all of the, I think I have like something like 300 miniatures coming my way of all different Marvel characters. So I'm excited to sit down, figure out who I'm going to paint and try to make it as perfect as possible because I'm a perfectionist like that. Awesome. And like you said, that's where the they're really great models and they're, they are sort of like Chibi-esque, right? Uh, and they and they had a, a regular one, or the, the X-Men sort of the newer one coming out, right? They had right. more kind of Avengers one already out there right yeah that one i picked up once i kickstarted uh mm-hmm. the other one i was like you know what i'm gonna buy the avengers base game just so that i have it and it's the only one that wasn't included in the complete purchase so i was able to at least get that and look at the miniatures like in person and everything look at the cards and everything I, I'm and, you, and you liked it like good quality i mean cool mini or not usually is pretty good with the yes. quality of game stuff yes everything's really good quality the cards are great quality the the actual base game is great quality the miniatures themselves are really good i've actually seen a couple people post pictures of the painted miniatures and they paint up really 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 nice so uh the the heroes have like a blue base coat the villains have a red base coat and the anti-heroes have like a purple base coat so it it should be pretty easy to just paint over that you know get a uh, different color base on there and just go to town so i'm excited about that and hopefully i think they're coming in spring so i wait with bated breath for to get my whole purchase of that (laughs) Yeah, I'd always wanted to. I, I'd taken a look at this, and I'd taken a look at Crisis Protocol, which is the other sort of miniature-based superhero. But that's a little bit, I think, a little bit more like more hardcore miniature game as opposed to you know board game, card game with miniatures. Right. So you have to let me know what you think about this when you get it, because as you know, a lot of people know I'm a huge comic book nerd. So this looks awesome. I've already looked at like the rules for the base game, and it looks really fun. It um, looks fun. Cool. It's it's the first game we're going to play when we actually get a game night together with our friends. So, yeah, I'll definitely let you know. But yeah, I, let me know, because this is on my to-pick-up to list. Just from the quality, I can tell you I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And I just think it would be a blast to paint, like, uh, comic book miniatures, to paint, like, a spider-man or iron man or whatever would, would be a blast so definitely and then what about you scott i know you said you just retired um do you fish do you hunt do you play chess or what do you got going on now that you have more uh free time uh, and I, well, I do free time in air quotes <laughs> yeah i mean i retired from my uh job but with temple university where i'd worked for 33 years but uh you know i've been a, a a war gamer and fantasy gamer and, and role player, et cetera, et cetera, since I was about six years old, which is, you know, God help me, 60 years ago. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm still involved in all that. I'm currently uh, finishing up a uh, Napoleonic Bavarian army. Um, 
probably play that with the black powder rules. Uh, I'm I am involved in a uh, D&D campaign, which we play online these days. And I've got a huge box uh, full of uh, halflings for Kings of War that I need to, to get painted up. Uh, when when the, uh, the new line of figures came out, I, I sort of jokingly asked Matt Gilbert from Manic Games is, uh, you know, hey, can I get get some sample figures, uh, you know, having just written this novel for you. And uh, he said, sure, what do you want? And I, and I jokingly said, well, everything, of course. And about a month later, this enormous box showed up on my doorstep with everything. So uh, awesome. Uh, <laughs> so I've got a lot of painting to do there. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and of course, then there's my writing. And uh, I also have this uh, side business called Paper Terrain, which I sells cardstock buildings and various wargaming accessories, which I've been involved with for quite a while. So, uh, so yeah, I've got plenty of things to keep me busy, uh, even though I don't have my, my main job anymore, which I'm very glad I don't. And then for the paper terrain, do you have like a lot, is it like different historical periods? So you could use it for like historical gaming or fantasy gaming or, or what sort of eras do you do stuff for? Whatever sort of strikes my fancy. I mean, I started out doing historical stuff. I was sort of aiming at the flames of war crowd. So I had a lot of, you know, European and Russian and North African type buildings. Um, but it's uh, it's available in, you know, all scales in addition to the flames of war scale. And then, you know, I branched out, uh, you know, my, uh, my other uh, – group of novels, The uh, Great Martian War, that was uh, originally inspired by the uh, All Quiet on the Martian Front game. I have a range of buildings to go with that. When the Star Wars Legion thing came out, I I cranked out a bunch of uh, buildings you could use with that. I'm just finishing up the moment a bunch of uh, Roman army tents. And, you know, as I have more time, I'll be doing other things, you know, American Civil War and you know, usually I end up making buildings for whatever game period I'm I'm playing at the moment. And, and once I start building my halflings, who knows, maybe I'll start putting out some cardstock halfling buildings. Uh, we'll Very cool. We'll, we'll see. And do you have – how do – if people are interested in picking up some of that, do you have like a website? Yeah. Or- yeah, I, I've got a website with a web store. It's just www.paperterrain.com. Well, what have I been up to? I have, as mentioned on our live stream episode on YouTube, which if you haven't watched, make sure to check that. We've been doing that on Sunday evenings. Croger and I last night did it, and we were looking at all the lists for the Australian Clash of Kings, which is happening uh, soon. And we had a great audience. Uh, we had a great a bunch of good feedback. So make sure you check out our live streams if you haven't. I've been working on the um, Twilight Kin still. Today I was actually working on a lot of comic hobby stuff. I had got some books back from um, CGC, which is the main company that grades comic books. When I very first got got back into comic books at the, be- the end of 2020, beginning of 2021... I had sent a bunch of my old books that were good to get graded that had just been in my garage. But I, I selected the like cheap, I don't care how long it takes version of grading. So those finally came back after like 10 months. And um, I had, so I've been looking, I've been getting those ready. Some I'm keeping, some I'm selling. The comic books I sort of use 
I, I try to have a fund itself where I try to like find good deals or if I buy something that I don't like, I'll resell it. Or once I read something, I'll, I'll pass it along. So I got some books from that that uh, uh, I'm getting ready uh, for eBay and stuff like that. The market's crazy. It always it's starting. 2021 saw like a really crazy explosion in all sorts of hobby markets, um, which makes sense, right? You're stuck at home. You have nowhere to go. What can you do at home is you can do like magic cards and Pokemon and look at comic books. So during COVID, the market got pretty crazy. But I'm glad four-year-old, eight-year-old Jeremy was like really super anal about his comic books. So I was the little kid who I'd buy a comic and I'd put it in a bag and board and then I just would look at the cover and I would like hardly ever touch it. So I got back like all these comics from like the early 80s that were like my personal books that I had bought off the rack as a little kid. And they all came back in pretty good condition, which was sweet. Yeah, so I've just been kind of doing that. I had my, my short boxes out today looking through books and um, I was going to go to a big comic show this weekend, but I got the COVID booster and I was just out of commission um, the morning after, just really bad, uh, not feeling great, but happy to have that booster now all ready to go. So, well, sweet. So I'm going to pass it over to Ben and Ben and Brandon are going to take us to through talking with Scott about his new book. So take it away, Ben. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about, well, the purpose of us all being here right now. Uh, we need to talk about Broken Alliance, which is Scott's, uh, new book and the newest book in the, Tales of Panathor series. It's the King of War, Kings of War books. It just barely came out in ebook. What about two weeks ago, right, Brandon? Uh, yes, I believe so. About two weeks ago. Yeah. So by the time this drops, it'll probably it'll well, obviously it'll be longer than that. But it is available on ebook right now. You can get that through Amazon, through uh, the Wingtasar website, all that kind of stuff. And we'll we'll go over that again at the end of the episode to remind you to to go and pick it up. Scott is not a stranger to the Kings of War world. He already wrote the short story Rat Catcher that was in the Edge of the Abyss anthology. That was the first real taste of the novels that we've gotten for Kings of War. Um, so we're, we're going to discuss that. Uh, we've got a couple questions for you, Scott, to get to get us started. Um, we're going to start out with a spoiler free portion of the discussions. So for those of you who are just interested in what the story is about and all that kind of stuff, we'll go ahead and start with that. And then we'll let you know when, if you haven't already read the book, uh, when, when to stop the episode and come back and finish once you've read the book. Um, we'll let you know when we're going to get into spoiler territory, uh, later on in the episode, but for right now, let's go ahead and just get started with Scott. You want to just give us a, a basic lowdown of your story, maybe give us an idea the the basic stuff of like where you got your inspiration, where you decided to go from it and all that kind of stuff, the creative process and all that. Well, of course I was, uh, you know, asked to write this novel by, uh, Wing Desar, who, of course, is working with Mantic Games. You know, I thought it would be fun, especially since I had already written the the, the short story, the Rat Catcher story, which dealt with the halflings. Um, and obviously, uh, Broken Alliance also deals with with the halflings. 
And once I had agreed to do this, then uh, you know I was put in touch with the Mantic people, particularly Matt Gilbert, uh, who I worked very, very closely with uh, creating this novel. I mean, Matt was just just a wonderful person to work with. He uh, answered my questions right away. He had his own uh, suggestions, uh, which I found very helpful. He provided me with all kinds of background material on the you know the world of Panathor and the, and the whole history of history of the world and and how the halflings fit into that and and the league of rordia as well so the, the the basic premise of the story i mean i guess this isn't any spoiler since it's you know on the back cover or or on the description in amazon is is this basically that the uh the halfling shires ha- had been allied and indeed a part of the league of rordia for about a century and and they got along you know the halflings got along pretty well with the humans but then uh, for reasons that no one quite understood, uh, the the uh, the relationship between the halflings and the uh, the league began to deteriorate, and it deteriorated very rapidly. A lot of animosity uh, growing seemingly out of nowhere between the t- the two groups, and um, you know one thing led to another. Uh, the the league was was levying you know high high duties on uh, goods coming in from the shires uh, even though they 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 needed the the food that the shires grew um uh, the halflings getting more and more upset about that and and just general ill feelings on both sides uh, ultimately the shires decided to leave the league the league wasn't wasn't going to have it and and this led to an outbreak of actual warfare uh between the two groups the uh, the main character in the book is, is a halfling named uh, Aaron Cadwallader, and he begins the story uh, actually as a cadet at the uh, the league's College of Warcraft, and he finds himself in a uh, really awkward position. I mean, he, he's kind of unusual for a halfling to begin with, in that he's he's fascinated with with uh, the military and and warfare and military history and so forth, and and that's how he ended up at the College of Warcraft. Um, but uh, when when things start to fall apart between the Shires and the League. I mean, he's no longer welcome in the League at the College of Warcraft, uh, but the the halflings back in the Shires, they don't trust him either because he's been spending all this time with the, the humans there in the League. So he, he's, uh, you know, sort of caught in the middle of all this and, and not sure at all, you know, what his future is going to be well i don't want to get into spoiler territory just yet but uh, it sort of goes on from there with the uh the war breaking out between the uh, the halfling shires and the league of rordia i've i know that halflings are the the hot topic right now amongst amongst all of us because we've all been eyeballing the the range that mantic is putting out and all of that we were we were talking Previous to the to the episode, you, we were talking about the the main character Aaron, and I know you just pronounced this name, and I'm gonna mispronounce it again because Cadwallader is that how yes, you pronounce it? That's, that's exactly right. Yes. Sweet, I got it right. Now you were saying that because uh, I asked you, you know, what was it like to have a character that somebody else came up with and all this kind of stuff, and you stopped me and you said, oh, actually. Matt and I worked together to create this character, you said. Um, and so that that le- leads to a whole different things. Um, 
that you and Matt Gilbert worked together to create, Aaron, from from absolute scratch. So that must have been a really interesting experience, taking something, um, take, building a whole new character that's not only represented in your novel and in your story and is the main character of your story and that you got to create so you know what makes him tick and all of that, but also gets to be represented uh, as a character in the actual game. And that's, I think the first of any of the novelists in that are working on Kings of war books have been able to do. Uh, we've all created a lot of characters for the novels, but I think yours is the first that's actually got uh, a tabletop counterpart. So what was, what was that process like? Did, did you guys discuss what that would look like on the tabletop, what he was going to be, what kind of character he was going to be and what, how that would play into your story? How did that all work out? Well, you know, that, that's sort of an interesting thing because, um, you know, I was asked to write the story qu- quite well in advance of, like, the rules uh, being written, the, the whole Clash of Kings uh, supplement and so forth. That was still in the early stages of development when I started work on the novel. So, you know, at the time, I had no idea that he was going to end up as a character in the, in the uh you know, in the game. Uh, so I was just writing it from the point of view of writing a good novel. You know, uh, Matt may well have had, you know, his own ideas uh, about where this was going to lead. Uh, and, and ultimately, I'll, I'll say that I I, I was uh, actually hired by Mantic to, to write the uh, the background story that, that, that shows up in the Clash of Kings uh, book and, and the, the, the actual descriptions of the various units and so forth. Although that took that happened after the novel was done, and, and more on that later. Actually, uh, that, that's sort of a story in its own right. But basically, I, I started out just I wanted to write a good story. That that was the my main objective. Um, you know, and my, my feelings about writing. I, you know, I've been writing for about 25 years now, and uh, I've got you know a number of books in print thanks to Wing Tassar Publishing. I, I've always felt you know my whole f- writing philosophy is that stories are about people they're, they're not about you know things and places really that, or at least they should they should be about people uh and so you know I, I started the story with just saying all right well you know who is my main character going to be and, and i guess i should also say that that you know I, i've written a number of novels and i i do have a certain writing style uh, but I, I decided I was going to do something a little bit different for this novel um, uh, in that I was going to have just a single point of view character. The, the entire story is seen through the eyes of, of Aaron Cadwallader. There are no other no other point of view characters. We're not uh, not seeing anything that's going on in the, the League of Rorty's council chambers with, with some other, through some other characters eyes. It's entirely through Aaron's. And you know, I decided that early on, just because I wanted to do it that way. Um, and uh, so, you know, I started out. I think, all right, well, fine. I, if I'm only going to have one character, he's got to somehow be in the center of, of most of the action in order in order for the reader to to, to be able to see it. So, uh, you know, that that uh, sort of dictated how I was going to going to run things, and that's why I started him out at this College of Warcraft in the league, so that we're we're seeing seeing what's going on in the league, how the league works really first before we uh, get a closer look at the Shires when, when Aaron is forced to go home. 
and uh, and so the story was was you know structured and, and laid out from that point of view. Awesome, and and I gotta say I I haven't had a chance to get through the whole book, but I have read the first several chapters and all that, and you can really tell right from the beginning that there's a lot of world building. You set up the tension really well between uh, the league and the halflings and all that kind of stuff, and you can definitely tell that there's some. For lack of a better term, almost racism going on between the the halflings and the other members of the league, uh, and and Aaron's in a as you've stated is in a very unique position because he's in the college he's in Aeolus College, which is something that's mentioned in lore a lot, um, and it does a really good job of doing that. Uh, is there you want to talk anything about how you set that up, where you came from with that, and all that kind of stuff? Well, it, it's it's interesting. Um, I mean, the, the the whole business of having you know writing about uh, cadets in a military school. I mean, it's almost second nature for me now. Uh, my very first attempts at writing, you know, years and years ago, I was I was writing uh, what what's known as fan fiction. Um, if you're not familiar with the term, it's basically stories written in somebody else's world. I mean, there there's fan fiction for virtually everything. I mean, there's obviously a lot of Star Trek fan fiction. There's Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, there's there's a website called fanfiction.com, and, and there are literally millions, uh, and I'm not exaggerating here, millions of fan fiction stories from every book you can think of and TV and movie you can think of, as I say, from Harry Potter. I mean, I mean, there's there's Bible fan fiction, for gosh sakes. But um, anyway, I started out writing fan fiction for um, uh, David Weber's uh, Honor Harrington universe. Uh, that's just what got me started. And I wrote like two complete novel length uh, fan fictions dealing with cadets at, at a military com- academy set in this this thing. And I've, I've done some other similar work. So basically writing Aaron's uh, place in the College of Warcraft, uh, I, I had a lot of practice for that. So that that was uh, fairly straightforward to do that. But, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, typically when you're writing a, a novel, you want to get some action in early on just to grab the reader's attention. And so the early sections of, of Broken Alliance, uh, initially when I wrote them, were briefer than, than what you're going to see in the finished product. You know, I wanted to, you know, get Aaron out of the College of Warcraft and, and on on the road just to, to to some real real action. And uh, but I was sharing, you know, my what I was writing with Matt Gilbert right, pretty much right along just to make certain I was on the right track. And when he saw the first three or four chapters, he said, "Well, you know, I really want some more background here. We we need, really need to do more world building." And and you know, we went back and forth, and he gave me, you know more directions in the first, you know, four chapters, I think, blossomed to about six chapters uh, to, to fit all of that in. So, you know, uh, Matt gave me, you know, the general directions uh, and general background information, and then I just took it and sort of fleshed it out and, and put it into things that, that Aaron, again, being the only point of view character I had to work with, um, you know, things that, that he would uh, either know or would, or would learn about or, or see with his own eyes. And, and, and that, uh, you know, that was the basic setup. Once the, the, the alliance is actually broken and, and, and uh, Aaron is forced to, you know, return to the Shires and find a place for himself and then ultimately warfare breaking out, uh, you know, that, uh, 
that just followed from the the initial setup. You know, I'm curious, uh, and I'm wondering what Brandon thinks as like an editor of fantasy works. But if you, I feel like since sort of the the Tolkien and sort of the Tolkien esque fantasy races, when you think about right, you're thinking about halflings, dwarves, elves, all the sort of uh, uh, the mainstays. I feel like dwarves and elves and orcs. They've had lots of sort of varied interpretations in fantasy literature, but I felt like halflings have always been sort of halflings, right? They're sort of the Tolkien-esque halflings, whereas I think the halflings in the King's War universe, they're kind of fleshing them out to be not just about, like, eating breakfast and, you know, there's there's a little bit more depth to that. So is that exciting for you, Scott, to sort of approach such a classic fantasy race but think about more... Uh, deeper or more different interesting ways to look at that sort of classic race? Well, yes, that that, that actually, uh, you're, you're right on the money there. Uh, that it, it was exciting and it was challenging too, because of course the the whole Tolkien-esque, the you know, hobbits is in so many people's minds. Um, you know what what those are like. You know, thanks to the Peter Jackson films and of course all the many many millions of people who have who have read the. the the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, um, but you know Matt, Matt and Mantic, you know they did want to get away from that a bit um, as much as much as they could without really changing them totally. And um, so, so yeah, I mean that was a bit of, bit of a challenge. Um, uh, so you know the, the the halflings in in the game and and in my novel. Um, you know that they're a bit more aggressive than than Tolkien-esque hobbits. I mean, they they but there, there's still a lot of similarities too. I mean, they're obviously they're short. Um, they've got hairy feet, even though they they do tend to wear shoes more often than Tolkien hobbits do. They, they primarily farmers and and uh, small craftsmen and and that sort of thing. But but uh, and they like to eat, but but they live in a really a much more dangerous world than, than the Tolkien uh, hobbits did. I mean, in, in Tolkien, the, the, the hobbits are, you know, unknowingly are being protected by the Dúnedain and, and uh, very rarely have to defend themselves uh, against any kind of serious attack. But uh, that's not the case at all in, in the Kings of War universe. Uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, the halfling shires are, are right out in the middle of everything. Uh, you know, they've got a certain amount of protection from the league, but be- before the alliance with the league and even even after it, they uh, were much more vulnerable to being attacked, um, whether it was just, you know, a raiding band of goblins or, or whatever. They, they, they did did have to have at least some sort of military force. And, uh, you know, taking that as a starting point, the halflings... Uh, in, in the, the Mantic world are different than, than, than Tolkien-esque hobbits. And so, of course, I, I was incorporating that in, into my story. Uh, but at the same time, I, I uh, had, had moved in, in a direction where, okay, you know, the halflings had been independent and, and sort of self-sustaining for a good long time. But once they got into the alliance and, and part of the League of Rordia, the, their, their military uh, 
sort of degenerated a little bit. I mean, uh, it wasn't as well-rounded as it had been. Um, I mean, the the halflings were very suited for uh, the light cavalry and light infantry role, archers and skirmishers and and, and so forth, and scouts. And, and, uh, and so they filled that role, whereas the, you know, the league, they provided you know, the heavy cavalry, the, the heavily armored infantry, uh, things like that. And so it was it was a good, good match with the Alliance, each doing the things that they were best at. But then, of course, when the halflings had to go, go it alone uh, and they found themselves without a lot of heavy cavalry or heavy infantry or, or things like that, they, they had to scramble, you know, very quickly to try to uh, to catch up. And, and, and that's actually one of the things that that uh, Aaron Cadwallader finds himself uh, very much involved in is trying to build a, a well-rounded functional army for the for the halfling shires and I know I think um, Brandon right the the main character in Armada or the the pious book right that came out when Armada came out had some rules for them in Armada but I believe uh, the book, this book that Scott uh, ha- has been working on, is that one of the first where we have an actual character within the Kings of War game have a full novel devoted to them? So on a technicality, yes, since Armada is Armada. But while Mark was writing um, Pius, Matt kind of did the same thing as we did with Scott. And he worked with him to create, so, uh, sort of like gave Mark the free reign. But in the end, uh, Mark was kind of surprised that he had, uh, James had rules in Armada, where it was kind of like um, a very similar type aspect to this, as in the book is kind of the prequel to the character's stats, more or less. Um, you know, this, without spoiling too much, this book is a prequel for what we're going to see in the actual Kings of War game. Things are not as advanced and defined as far as the units and models go compared to what they actually look like and how they act in the game. This is kind of like the setup to kind of explain how everything came to be. Much like with Pius, how it was kind of the story of how James came into his own ship and everything and then set up for the character who was the promoted unit. Um, it it kind of it, it works the same way as in this, the, the novel helps to set up for the game. So it is the early interpretation of the unit stats and everything. That way there's a lot of um, free reign for things like sequels, for things like characters to create, or for players to create their own fan fiction, characters, uh, sorry, players to create their own um, games with those characters that uh, questionably can or cannot be canon, depending on, you know, your interpretation of things. So yeah, that's one of the cool things about um, translating the novel and the game together is that there is a lot of room, wiggle room to do whatever we slash Mantic want to do with it. Yeah, because I think you have a lot of the living legend characters in the game, right? Looking at it uh, from the Kings of War actual game mechanics. And all those living legends have special names, right? We have Nias, we have this person, we have this person. But there's like a little blurb, right? Talking about them. But I think the real connection with those special characters and world building is when you can read a book about a character and then you can go pick them to be in your army. Right, where you have, like, I love how this guy plays, but I also love the fluff and story behind him. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting to see that starting to happen more in your guys' um, novel slate. 
Yeah, so the interesting thing with the novels is like when we, you know, when most companies that we work with, we go under the assumption, and it's made pretty clear when we start out working with them, is that any characters that are created in the novels pretty much are not going to have any impact on the game whatsoever. The novels will help tell the story of the game and help flesh out elements that the parent company want to have explored that they cannot through the normal rule books or uh, through game telling. So the novels are kind of like the vehicle to help tell the lore. But with Mantic, we've had a very different relationship in the sense of when we first started, you know, we went under that same philosophy. And then all of a sudden, they kind of were like, all right, so let's try to have a more cohesive relationship so that way the books do integrate directly with the games. Um, so we, Mantic took a more direct involvement and said, all right, these are characters, themes, concepts we want to see novels created for. And then at the same token, they want to, you know, we have, they have ideas like halfling novel it was we just talked about it for a long time as the halfling book there was always an idea to do a halfling book for at least two or three years or so but we hadn't really you know it it was just in the back burner and then when it started becoming a little bit more serious you know we we recruited scott we started you know putting him in touch with matt and everything kind of came together and what came out as an original just like an idea for a novel became author plus parent company cohesion to now create a novel that has a character from the novel in the game. So it's all kind of one blended universe. So some of the, we'll still see novels that we're going to, are going to have characters that don't relate to the game in any way, shape or form. But then also on the flip side, we also have novels commissioned by a lot of um, players who are not professional authors, but they have talent that I want to have them write a book about. So you'll see, um, and as we've seen through the novels, there's a lot of um, community nods we try to drop in every novel just to kind of make reference to the community and make reference to the players who, you know, this whole game is for. So there's a lot of, there's going to be, as we've seen and moving forward, a lot of um, ties together between Mantic, us, and the community to create one shared universe where, you know, already named characters are going to get fleshed out, new characters are going to have room to breathe and live and create rules for and so that you know people will be able to see their own characters take shape in one way or another if there's enough demand for it and that seems like the best of both worlds i mean i know ben you've been uh, you, you know you have john secrets that have come out and as i you know give the reins back to you here what do you think do you like that uh, that seems kind of like a cool idea both uh, both creating spaces narrative spaces to tell stories about new characters but to also enforce these characters that we've all been playing with on the game that we know nothing about other than they have like x special rule absolutely i love it mantic does an awesome job of working with the community and brandon especially um in in the project that i'm currently working on and I know that he's done this with with other authors, and I'm sure he does it pretty much with everybody. Is he gets players who are interested in having their characters? He has a list, literally a list of of players that have contacted him and shared their stories with him about what their what their character is like, or what they this one the the war master in my or the the engineer in my army, and this is his backstory, and this is why he's the head of the army, and all that kind of stuff. And they've passed that on to Brandon. And Brandon then gets in contact with us and says, hey, this guy's got a really cool idea. Is there any way that you could give him like a nod or a cameo or something in your story to cement him as part of the canon so that we can say, yeah, he can point to that and say, look, my character is right there in the story. Uh, I know we've done it with Billy. Uh, Billy has his mention in mine. I know um, there's, um, oh, the the orc, um, Richie's character. What's his Skullface. name? Skullface. 
Skullface, thank you. Yeah. Is in um, yes. <laughs> is in steps to deliverance. Um, there's all sorts of these nods to the community, and it's awesome to see that because, as Brandon's pointed out, the difference between uh, Wing Kassar and the Kings of War novels and any other shared universe that I've ever seen novels written for, whether that's Warhammer, whether that's Warcraft and Starcraft, whether that's whatever game it is that you're interested in is usually those novels take place almost in like a parallel universe more than actually part of the game or in some, they're, they're almost inconsequential, meaning that you don't, uh, you can read these stories if you want to, but they, they really don't affect the lore of the game and Mantic has taken that a step further in the way that they work with their, their authors. And it's phenomenal. I feel like in that while you don't have to have read all the novels to understand the Kings of war lore, you can just read the rule book. There are tidbits of the lore that in order to fully understand you, you'll want to go read that story because it will give you more information. And in many ways, Unlike, say, like with the Black Library, with um, with Warhammer, they would write novels that would go alongside big events. But in all honesty, they would almost be changed or different or things would happen in a different order sometimes. Whereas in this case, and and Scott mentions this about working with Matt, of where they'll sit there and they'll you'll send things off and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Does this fit with what you guys have in mind? And they'll respond back saying, yeah, it's a great idea. Go for it. Or, well, let's tweak it this way because this is what we have in mind and we want this to be able to fall in line with that and we want your book to work in our universe. And so they do an awesome job of doing that and it's, it's really a fun process of creative workshopping and going back and forth with everybody and it's a really cool uh, cool thing to do. So Scott, coming back around now to uh, to Broken Alliance, though. With that in mind, um, and again, I asked this without having been able to finish the book yet. Um, we talked about how you've, with that in mind, and with the whole idea of keeping the the shared universe running and a narrative thread going throughout all of this. This harkens back to your short story that you wrote for the Edge of the Abyss anthology with Ratcatcher. And I think I've heard, and I have not seen nor confirmed this for myself in, in my reading thus far, but that there are characters from your short story that make it into this this thing. Is there, is there anything about that that you want to talk about that isn't too spoilerly yet? Or is anything that you want to mention about that? And also, is there anything that when you were writing Ratcatcher, that your view of the world changed by the time you got to this, and now you almost want to go back and retroactively change something from Ratcatcher or anything like that? Uh, well, yes. Um, yeah, two of the characters from the Ratcatcher story, uh, that would be Dunstan Rootwell and uh, Patty Bobart, um, show up in um broken alliance uh but uh you know it's 30 it's 30 years down the road from rat catcher so you know like aaron cadwallader wasn't even born yet when the uh events of rat, rat catcher took place and and dunston and patty are both considerably older and yeah uh trying to reconcile the two stories uh it was a little bit of a challenge because when i wrote rat catcher i mean that's like three or four years ago and um you know mantic had not you know 
developed the uh, League of Rordia or the, the the Halfling Shires anywhere near to the degree that they had when I started writing uh, Broken Alliance. So, uh, you know, I was uh, just sort of floundering around in the dark for Ratcatcher. I wasn't really sure, you know, where where it was taking place or what what the larger context was. So, so there there uh, for so for instance, Ratcatcher takes place in a human city, which I just called I think Norwood. You know, that was fine, and 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 the story was what it was. But then um, when I came to start writing uh, Broken Alliance, I realized, well, okay, I mean, you know, I wanted to use. Dunstan Rootwell and Patty Bobart in the, in the news story. I mean, uh, they were good characters and, and interesting, and, and why not use them, at least, you know, as secondary characters. But uh, then the problem was, well, okay, so where did the Ratcatcher story take place? I mean, it, it, technically it must have been the League of Rordia, but then, you know, uh, uh, Matt provided me with with maps of the League of Rordia and gee there's just no city called Norwood uh, in the league and so you know I just had to do a little bit of backpedaling and uh, there's a very brief mention of the events uh, of Ratcatcher you know in Broken Alliance and and I just uh, you know uh, reconciled it by by saying, "Oh, you remember what hap- happened, uh, you know, in such and such a city." And I, I used the the current, you know, correct name of a city from the League of Rordia, and then just sort of parenthetically said, "We, you know, we call it Norwood," and and uh, and just did it that way. It's it's not a big deal, of course, but uh, but I you know I, I wanted to it to be. There to be, you know, a connection between the Ratcatcher story and the uh, Broken Alliance story, and and I think it, it worked out pretty well. Like I said, I love the fact that it's it's that whole it's like the draw to the MCU kind of thing, right? The Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that, uh, working with that, and having all these story threads come together and having them interlap, overlap, and and work together. It, it's really cool, and it's really cool that they're working hard to allow the authors that established that stuff to keep that going and keep those things going. All right. Before we move on to the, to spoilery territory at all in any way, let's ask the, there's this last question that I have. And then if anybody else has any questions before we move on from there, feel free to ask, but are there any tidbits then that, that didn't make it into the book? I always ask this because when I'm drafting out a story and I'm sure you're the same way, you have this great big well of ideas that you're drawing from and you come up with this overly developed system for things and how they work or things that you thought about that were really cool, but there just wasn't any way to put that into the novel just because it, it either didn't fit or there wasn't a, a, an opportune moment to go off about how, you know, the, the, the cost of corn in this area affected why this, this city decided to rebel or whatnot and all that kind of stuff. But just, just, ideas of how the world works that didn't make it into the book that you thought were really cool, but just couldn't include them for one reason or another. Uh, there wasn't really anything quite like that. I mean, the story that, that I ended up with was pretty much the story I had, uh, conceived of to begin with. Um, no, no major problems there. I mean, I, I guess the only 
issues that arose, you know, between what I was writing and 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 what uh, Matt and and Mantic wanted was uh, initially. Initially, I I, uh, I I was dealing with you know various races. I mean, there were the humans, there there were the halflings. I I, I had a few dwarf characters who were also at the, the uh, College of Warcraft, and I just wanted to, you know, just to make them you know each unique so that, like when i'm writing dialogue they don't didn't all sound exactly the same i i decided arbitrarily you know sort of pick uh you know re real world nationalities uh for some of these characters and just use them like when i was selecting names and and just give them you know a certain you know uh ways of speaking accents and that sort of thing and i, and I just decide all right well i'll make the halflings welsh and i'll make the i'll make the dwarves scottish because of course you know once once jackson's lord of the rings movies came out everybody knows the dwarves are scottish i mean there's no getting away from it now and i and i think i i added some certain certain amount of danish uh, to the uh, to the human characters and so you know that's how i was selecting names and so forth just you know doing google searches on you know traditional welsh names traditional danish names traditional scottish names and so forth and i you know i'd gotten five or six chapters into that when matt sort of caught on to what i was doing and 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 informed me you know in no uncertain terms, no, our, our dwarves are, are not Scottish, and and no, the uh, the halflings are are not Welsh. Um, so you're you're going to have to change that a bit. And so you know, I did, <laughs> but um, so so really that that was really the only point where I, I had to rearrange some of the things that I, that I had planned to do to to uh, to fit what. Uh, what Manic wanted, and it, it was nothing, nothing too dramatic. When you brought that up, I was like, "Oh, I remember having that conversation with the project that I'm working on currently, which we'll talk about on probably another episode." Didn't have to really drop anything. In fact, um, you know, Wing Dasar was very good on the fact that that my story tended tended to grow a little bit. I mean, I I was under contract to write a 110,000 word novel, and by the time it was done. It was around 130,000 words, and uh, you know, I I talked with uh, Vincent, uh, Brandon's dad, and owner of, of Wing to Sar. You know, is this okay? I mean, you know, uh, going over the limit, and he said, sure. You know, <laughs> make it as long as you need it needs to be to tell the story, and and that's exactly what I wanted to hear, and so I uh, so I did. I just um, want to know, uh, Brandon, as a fellow MMO player, how many times were you on like a name generator over the last 15 years trying to think of the coolest name for your new uh, uh, character you're trying to make? So for me, uh, I have a completely different process for creating names. Okay. Is I have something called uh, word association, which I use to like create names for characters where I pick a word. Then I pick another word that's similar to that word that you know associates with it. Then I pick another word that associates with that. And if I get stumped, I go associate that last word with the first word. Take all the words that I came up with, a handful of words, and then I just pick syllables that I like and sounds that I like that I associate with that character's name. And that's how I come up with all of the original names for like 90% of the works I work on. Scott, I just wanted to ask you real quick. I mean, you mentioned that uh, this was kind of 
the main character Aaron was done in conjunction with Matt Gilbert. Was Aaron based on anybody or anywhere? Or how did you kind of come up with the character? It's not really based on anyone. Uh, I, I mean, I guess there's at least some of me in him. I mean, Aaron is described as, as being unusual for halflings in that he was fascinated with military things and military history and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and well, I mean, that's, that's sort of a description of myself. Uh, I mean, I've always been very fascinated with military things and military history. I, I uh, have been a Civil War reenactor for almost 40 years. So, you know, I got get to put on a uniform and go out and, and drill troops, at, at least for make-believe, if not for real. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's certainly quite a bit of me in, in him. And, and as I said, I had, had written, you know, some fan fiction stories set in military academy type settings. And so I freely uh, stole stole from myself in that regard to to help create Aaron. There you go. Did you come up with the idea of the uh, little miniature Aralezes, or how did that come about? Uh, no, that, that, that was a given. I think at least that much had been, was already planned in the works for the Halfling Army. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I was definitely uh, told, told to, to include them. Now, um, without getting into too much spoilers, um, the events of the novel take place at least two or three, maybe a few more years uh, before the army that you see, you know, in, in the Clash of Kings supplement. And, and so the, the Shire's army has evolved considerably between the end of the novel and and and, and the and what you see in, in, in Clash of Kings. So for it, for instance, pretty much all of the halfling cavalry are mounted on the miniature Aralez, um in the in Clash of Kings, whereas in the novel they're still pretty much brand new, and there's there's really only one elite unit that has them at that point. All the rest of the halfling cavalry are still mounted on you know ponies and small horses. You know, it would be great, Ben, as the sort of uh, part of this process. It would be really cool, and I, if there is this already, then please tell me. Is there anything to put like a, a timeline order up somewhere? I always like that in book series when there's like a graph or something that tells you like, and you could put like the Clash of Kings books in there, like when stuff is happening in the overall story. Is there any plans to do like a, or if someone wanted to know what they should read first, or is there any anything like that floating around? So there is a behind the scenes timeline, and there were talks about adding it to um this novel but it just never happened mostly due to time constraints we just wanted to make sure this novel was out like around the same time as the halfling release printer delays due to covid have kind of shifted that unfortunately but the next novel which is rise of the celestians i will do my all to make sure that is in there i'm actually going to send vince a message and just have him remind me but we there is a behind the scenes timeline of Okay, awesome. How all the novels relate with all the supplements and everything and, you know, the, the state of the Mantic world in general. And also in the meantime, I know that uh, Mark Barber posted uh, on the KOW forum. He's talked about it and he's kind of given a rough outline. I know that, oh, God, Death by Dragons has done. Uh, uh, Steve, yeah, Steve, Steve did a video on it. They kind of. Oh, cool. I, I missed, I missed that one. Yeah. Okay. I'll go back and uh, take a look at that again. 
so as a as a kind of a stopgap, there's those two um, those two ones that have kind of gone in there. Uh, I will say there is an official timeline that Mantic has developed and produced and has even years as to when it happened kind of thing. So there there is a there is a solid plan. It just hasn't found its way into any of the official publications yet. So because that's and, sort of the downside, right? Was the the amazing side of having all these this stuff linked together is that it creates these robust tapestries of stories. The downside is if you're just starting to get into it, it's the same thing with comics, right? Which is, yep. oh my gosh, where do I even start? The only nice and, thing, though, is that, you know, with most of the books, I think Ben mentioned it before, most of them are kind of, um, even though they're all interconnected, in a sense, they're kind of all standalone at the same time because you can pick up any one of the novels and read it. As if you have the basic idea of how fantasy works you can kind of grasp how the setting of the novels and everything i mean to get the core concepts you have to have an idea of how kings of war plays but for the most part any kings of war anybody who plays anybody who enjoys fantasy can pick up a novel and enjoy it for the most part without having much idea of how things in previous novels work the only i think the only exception with that would be nature's night just because we we tried to add some name drop characters for each author um but all the other ones i think should be standalone for the most part and and i would even say in nature's night you could still pick it up and enjoy it because there's a lot of people that have the the few reviews that we've got of that have even mentioned how it seems to work together and there you might get more out of it um but it isn't it isn't essential that you've read all the other novels before you read nature's night kind of thing so Right. Yeah. Uh, one question I did have that was coming up was you're talking about the, the gap between Ratcatcher and here. I get it because it's been a couple of years between uh, writing that short story and the novel. But you also mentioned you've written a lot of the lore for the halflings that came out of Clash of Kings. Uh, how was developing both the lore and the story at the same time? Or, or was there any like panicked emails to Matt Gilbert in the middle of the night going, oh, crap, what, what did I say for this? Or um uh, kind of walk you know talk us through your developing kind of the macro and the micro level uh for the halflings with both those pieces of uh literature i uh, wasn't asked to to write the you know the fluff for uh the clash of kings uh until really after the novel was done and i didn't didn't know i was going to be asked um Really, I mean, I wrote the novel the way I, I wanted it to go, um, and um, and honestly, uh, well, we're going to be you know verging into uh, spoiler territory here. I mean, some of the stuff that occurs in you know the battles uh, in my novel, you know, you're going to if you look at the rules, you're going to say, well, hmm, this doesn't quite sound like what's being described in the rules or for the armies list. And well, yeah, it, it, there are some differences. Um, and, uh, you know, and that was primarily because, uh, I guess the, the miniatures and, and the, the rules and so forth, uh, they were being developed more or less at the same time as I was writing the novel and, or, and, and maybe I was a little bit ahead of, ahead of the game. I'm not sure. There are, are some differences, um, and when I was asked to write the uh, the things, um, you know, they, they gave me, you know, they had caught up essentially uh, with, with me at that point, and, and they had the armies list uh, pretty well developed, and, and so so some of the uh, 
you know, some of the things that I was writing, writing for the game were, you know, were, were a bit different than what, what was in the novel. Um, but basically I was giving, giving them what they asked for and they seemed happy with it. We're going to go ahead and slide into a break right now. Um, on the other side, we're going to start getting into spoiler territory. So if you haven't read the book and you don't want the story spoiled for you, stop here, mark the time and come back once you finish the book. But uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to take that break. And then when we come back, we'll talk, you know, we'll do the deep dive into the book. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games and you're listening to Counter Charge. This is the Spy Master, Dojo's Everyman, Handsome Tom Annis. And you're listening to Countercharge. And we're back. So now that we've gone over the the kind of surface detail stuff and the creative process and all that kind of stuff, we're going to get now into some of the more deeper story-driven point plot point uh, questions that we have. Um, just to to get started with this, um, in a general sense, Scott. Before we get into the the really deep stuff, is there Anything from the novel up to this point that we should really pay attention for future events or that we should really, if we've finished the book, go back and maybe reread because it gives us some hints of what direction the lore with the halflings is going to go moving on from here or anything along those lines? Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sure I understand the question. Can you uh Yeah, it? no, that's fine. Um, So – so, like, is there any part of the 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 novel that you wrote that you're excited about maybe to continue any story threads that you might have started or what direction – are there any, like, um, ideas that you wrote that you really want the readers to pay attention to in the story because either you might be – uh, expanding on the ideas that you express there or the plot points that you bring up there or that you might be writing future stories about or that ideas are spinning in your head the direction of the story might go? Ah, okay. Well, yes, actually. Um, uh, we're already in discussion uh, with uh, Mantic and, and uh, Wing Tassar for writing a sequel to, the, to this and, and – it seems like likely that that will go ahead. Um, and I think the, the sequel, uh, at least from you know, early discussions, may well shift the scene of action from, you know, the Shires and the League of Rordia to the, the halflings who live in uh, Edge, EEJ, the, uh, the, the elven city that were the other half of the, the halfling nation exists uh, on the southern side of the infant sea. Aaron Cadwallader may end up traveling there uh, and getting involved in things going on. So, uh, so yeah, within the uh, framework of Broken Alliance, um, people from Edge have uh, traveled to the Shires and and uh, are you know kind of pivotal in getting the Shire army you know, ready for battle. And so, uh, you know, information that uh, is, is given about the people from Edge uh, in this novel are certainly things you should pay attention to uh, if, if, this, uh, if the second novel takes place. So anytime it mentions Edge, we need to be paying attention to. Got it. Taking notes for when I finish the book. 
Well, that, that already answers another question that I had is how involved are you going to be moving forward with? It sounds like you've already got a sequel planned and well, not planned, but at least the, the, the beginnings of at least an outline going in your head and where, what direction it's going to go. So that's awesome. Scott, uh, since you mentioned the sequel, does this mean we might be getting some more models added to the halfling range that might come up in this sequel? Um, not my department. Sorry. <laughs> That hasn't really been mentioned in, in any of the discussions, which which have been been very brief. I mean, really, uh, we, we just sort of agreed that, yeah, another book would be great. Um, how about it, uh, you know, bringing in the, the the halflings down an edge into it? And that's really about as, as far as it's gone at this point, as far as, you know, since Mantic's a game company, uh, it would not surprise me in the slightest that they would want to, you know, add some uh, some miniatures and so forth. But uh, but that hasn't been discussed yet. Let me say yeah, this. That- if anything is on the horizon in Mantic's arsenal, it will either be showcased or teased in some sort. So it, I would never say never say never. But, you know, I also right. wouldn't say get your hopes up. Yeah, I mean, the, the Halfling range is actually pretty robust already. I mean, there's there's a lot of things in that list that have been, uh, they've already had models for. Um, but, uh, yeah, like you said, never say never. And there's always future supplements, you know, future Clash of Kings updates and stuff like that to get a different uh, model. And, again, some of the units that aren't already represented in the modeling range, but, yeah. Well, I mean, if I can, you know, mention some things that I that I'd like to see in in the, in the way of models that, that that are, you know, in my book that are not not that, that there are no models for, uh, since we are in spoiler territory, um, the people from Edge they they come to the Shires in, in a uh, in an airship of, uh, you know, the, the 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 game of course has got the halfling blimps, but the blimps are just sort of quick attempts to copy the edge airship which is much much more uh, much bigger much more capable so so perhaps that you might see something like that uh the other thing that that i would have liked to have seen uh and who knows might come down the road is that the uh the halflings uh develop sort of a sort of a war wagon a uh you know something like the uh, the hussites might have had uh in, in real time history where they they're used to haul supplies, but they can be quickly turned into sort of a, a miniature for, fort that the the, right. the, the so, so you circle can, the wagons, yeah, and make can, a, can fight a, from. Um, so who knows? Maybe something like that in the future. But. Yeah, I think it, I think it would be really sweet to have like a I don't know a seventy five or a hundred by fifty or something, or like they have they already have the halfling like sort of tank thing. It would be mm. cool if there was like an airship version of that. So instead of having a unit of guys and blimps, you have one big giant airship that moves slowly and has guns and or whatever. That would be like a cool. That could be like a cool centerpiece model. Yeah, I agree. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be good. And also, just just thinking game thing, and we'll get back into discussion. But what he was talking about with the uh, mobile fortress kind of thing, having a unit that if they were given the the halt order the previous turn or something like that, they gain both the ensnare and the phalanx special rules or something like that. Be kind of interesting. Well, there's some really cool scenes that Scott wrote that kind of do that, um, where the, they circle the wagons, and you know, you have to consider the halflings are halflings. You know, when when pitted against full-body men, you know, they find ways to compensate, and um, 
the tactics that Scott has them use is actually really, really neat. It ties into Aaron's understanding about how, you know, combat works from his time at the college. And it, those scenes are really neat. And uh, it, it comes back to play at, in the ending as well. So there's two, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but there's two scenes in which they do that. And it's, uh, it plays out really well. It gets you really excited. And I, I too, after reading it, was a little disappointed. I'm like, oh, there isn't a, no- a model with this. This was just Scott's ingenuity and cool thinking. Right. I, I like, uh, you know, speaking of talking about translating, you know, characters into rules and onto the tabletop, vice versa. I, I do really like uh, Aaron, uh, his special ability he has within the game to give uh, infantry nimble, which is kind of represent. I think for me, at least in my head, representative of his being kind of a drill master from his time of learning military tactics in the college. Uh, at least in my head, canon that seems pretty cool. And represent yeah. also presents something unique and flavorful to uh, the halfling army that's not present in really any other armies. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Game mechanics, right, Felix? I thought the exact same thing, which is if you learn how to be a soldier. You know, I always love that. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the uh, Sean Bean Sharps BBC show. He's always talking about, like, how many shots a, a good trained soldier should be able to load in a minute. And so I like that, that idea of uh, Nimble does speak to me as, like, highly drilled, highly ordered, like, professional soldiers. So that is kind of like a... Uh, a narrative game mechanic that it sounds like is in line with sort of the 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 story of this character. Yeah, I mean that that certainly would would fit well with uh, his background and so forth. Uh, he, he you know when when Aaron returns to the Shires uh, from the College of Warcraft, as I say, he's sort of shunned by by his own kind there because they don't really trust him, don't really know where his uh, loyalties lie, but ultimately he, uh, you know, prove, proves that, that his lo- loyalties are with the Shires, and and, and they, they grudgingly admit that, that maybe he knows some stuff that they don't, and and, uh, and so he starts, you know, forging a, a new model halfling army, which uses, you know, tactics and, and things that, that are suited, suited for halflings, particularly halflings that are, are facing opponents who are much bigger than they are. So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that all fits. I, I think that's probably one of the funnest things that a lot of people talk about in, 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 with all the books and with all the stories and everything is seeing how, how the things that uh, the characters represent on the tabletop are, are represented in, in a more, realistic sense kind of thing how how the rules of the tabletop translate into a story and vice versa and all that kind of stuff i think um and that's actually one of the things that uh oh michael carter says in his review that i've got up here is the battles are done very well um and he says that the, you know he, he's always one to talk about how it's really interesting to watch and the action's easy to understand and all that kind of stuff so um it seems like he did a good job with that um, Brandon, I was going to ask you, we've, uh, well, actually I'm going to ask first you, Scott, I want to ask you, um, specifically, and then Brandon, I want you to ask you the same question where you've read it probably almost as many times as he has. Um, what was, what was your favorite scene to write in all of this? And you can be as specific as you want and why that was, uh, your favorite scene and all that kind of stuff. Well, favorite scenes. I mean, there there were a lot of scenes I liked. I mean, um, obviously the the big battle in in front of the you know besieged city. It was a lot of fun to work all the details out because I, I mean, 
know, I've been I've been a writer for for a while, and and I know you know I've got strengths and I've got weaknesses. Um, some of my strengths are I, I write good dialogue, and and I write really good battle scenes. I mean, I, I no false modesty here. I, I write really good battle scenes that are very understandable. So you know, I, I like doing that. Um, uh, but you know, on on the on the other hand, as, as I was said at the beginning here, you know, good stories are about people, not not just about events and things like that. And so, um, honestly, my my own personal favorite scene is is early on when Aaron is part of the. Uh, the wagon train of, of, of refugees, uh, you know, fleeing from Eowulf back into the Shire. And, and when uh, the first night when they stop and Aaron realizes that he hasn't brought any food with him and, and, all, and all the other halflings are suspicious of him, so they're not going to share any of their food. And then out of nowhere, um, the, the halfling woman, Nesta, just appears and hands him a bowl of stew. Um, I had no idea that was going to happen until it happened. Uh, it wasn't planned out. It wasn't in any of my outlines. It was just my subconscious at work. And suddenly I, I've got a love interest uh, and the, uh, you know, the people in the story suddenly are just a whole lot more real. They, they've got, you know, a bigger stake now in, in, in succeeding and, uh, you know, I, I just love it when that sort of thing happens, when the creative process just sort of takes its own, takes hold of the reins and does things that I wasn't expecting. And uh, and that was one of them. Uh, but then I like the battles, too. So, of course, battles are always fun. That's awesome. I, I totally get where you're coming from. That's that's always fun when the story comes up and surprises you or when the characters start acting in ways that you hadn't planned or anything along those lines. That's 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 an awesome point in the creative process. Brandon, similar question. You've read this story multiple times, I'm sure, especially going through the editing process and all that kind of stuff. What scene stands out to you as kind of like the what the quintessential scene of this book or what do you think is one of the most important or most interesting scenes? There's a couple. I'm going to go off what Scott said. He, he has his strengths really are telling a battle and writing a heartwarming tale even on the battlefield. Um, when we first started, or more or less when we first started Wingcaster Publishing, uh, probably one of the, a few months after I'll say, um, Scott, Mark Barber, and I formed a, a kind of like a writing group on Facebook and um, Facebook Messenger. And, you know, we get, we exchange ideas back and forth. Um, and, it, you know, the two of them are two of our top authors in the company and it's interesting seeing them share strengths as in writing a battle and uh it's interesting seeing their differences too um but definitely one of the things that they both connect well on one of the things i'm hoping that readers will take away is they're both of their great great skills in telling a battle and telling a coherent battle and seeing how the um tactics go into play and seeing it actually unfold like a real battle um, some of my favorite scenes, uh, it's hard to pick just one, and this is my issue, is I, I always, I have several that stand out to me as really cool. The circling the wagon scene is really awesome to see how, um, you know, Aaron, one of Aaron's first moments of, I got this, just let me do my thing. Um, the scene where Aaron gets kidnapped, and I, in my head, you know, it's one of those things of rising and falling action, and you know that 
something is going to happen. It's just you're waiting for it to happen. And then when Aaron gets kidnapped, you're like, ah, oh, this is it. Like, what's going to happen? And then when Patty, I'm sorry, not Patty, uh, Scott, what's his human friend? Is it Pally? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, when, when, when you were sort of throwing me off when you said kidnapped. I mean, he's he's captured, not yes, actually yes. kidnapped. Um, yeah, and, and he runs into his old friend Pally from the uh, from the, the the College of Warcraft. Yeah, um, that's a really cool scene. I like that. It's like it's one of those things that you're hoping that's what's going to happen, but you're not really sure just because you're like it could take a really dark turn here, and I hope it doesn't. So it was nice to see that kind of play out like that. And then probably I, I think one of my favorite scenes is when Aaron gets back to you know you know, his home and he convinces his whole family, you know, we have to build, we have to prepare. And they actually manage to fortify their home area. And the raiders kind of just look at them and go, eh, it's not worth our time and just continue on. I thought that was like a really pivotal, pivotal scene. And granted, it kind of all goes into the wash a few chapters after that, but that moment is like a really, really cool one. I had a lot of fun editing that. You're, you're giving me a lot of stuff to look forward to. I, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, I'm really interested in the battles and then the tactics that you're talking about. And, and I've seen that with Mark Barber and how he describes the battles. You can definitely tell that he's, he's got that military background and, and Scott based off of what you said, you've, you've got a similar, uh, passion for battlefield tactics and things along those lines. So that'll be interesting to see how it translates into the, uh, into the novel. Um, the, um, I've got one more question, um, specifically as, as part of like the actual split from the league. And I'm trying to figure out how, how to best phrase this. Like for starters, was that something that Mantic told you needed to happen? And that's where the, the impetus, well, probably that's where the impetus started, but did they share any details about what that split was going to be looking like? Did it, um, and how, how it needed to end up? It was a, a between relationship between the league and the halflings so that they could still potentially be allies on the battlefield or anything along those lines. They supplied me with basically the basic, uh, situation being that um, the alliance between the Halfling Shires and the League of Rordia was going to be broken and there's going to be a split and that would lead to warfare but but that was it they they really didn't give me any more detail than that um, it you know as the story started to evolve you know I, I sort of came back to them and, and said and and came up with some suggestions for you know why it had happened um and happened so quickly that there was uh you know an outside force at work here um uh with with uh you know ne nefarious plans uh, towards both the shire and the league and they were trying to split their, their alliance for for you know all their own own uh, ends and uh, and there was a little bit of back and forth uh, a couple false starts on my my part but ultimately we you know came to an agreement as to you know what that outside force was and uh, and and what its aims were and 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 how it would, it would all come out in the end that as I say sort of evolved as we went along I, I was well into the story bef before we finally figured that all out and that's probably a good thing because it lends it that organic uh, kind of 
uh, that organic feel in the story and it doesn't feel like something, a narrative element had to be forced in there or kind of shoehorned in. So that's good. Yeah. Having not finished the book, I'm not, uh, you guys have answered all the questions that I can think of. Does anybody else have any questions that they want to ask about the story or anything? Well, well, I would love an update ha- uh, being a big audiobook fan and a big fan of, um, the uh, Steps to Deliverance audiobook. Brandon, can you give us an update sort of on where we're looking at as possible more Kings of War books getting audio versions or any update on sort of the audio side of uh, Wing Tazar? Unfortunately, all I can say at this moment is it's still in the pipeline, but I think I don't know what the latest is. I have asked Vince a few times and he said that it's in the process but I don't know if it's that Ray's backed up or what the case. I think Ray might be backed up because he's he's got a lot of work. Um, Ray is Ray's actually done all of Scott's um, Great Martian War books on audio before he did the Kings of War books for us. Um, so you can check that out in the meantime if you want something to wet your whistle. Um, but as far as the other Kings of War books, all I can say is that they're in process, but I don't know how soon we're going to be getting them out. I know other, um, we're going to be starting uh, doing Infinity novels soon, Infinity of the Game novels, and uh, people have been asking for audiobooks for those. And uh, my response that I've been told to say is they're coming as well. So all I know is that we're in the process, but I don't know how far in the process we are. I will find out more and I will send you a message to let you know. Well, I. I... I had already warned uh, Ray, Ray Greenley, our, the guy who does our most of our video book, uh, audio books, um, to start brushing up on his uh, his his Welsh accent. So, <laughs> so he's he's got a little bit of preparation for it anyway. There you go, Brandon. Isn't um, Drowned Secrets in process, or that's the next one, right? If we're following the same release schedule, then yes, Drowned Secrets should be the next one. Um, it was the next one, as far as I knew, after Steps of Deliverance. But I unfortunately don't know the current status of it. Uh, I think it's I think it's in the process, but of being recorded. But I'm not 100% sure on that one. I will find out and get back. Awesome. Uh, I think Ray does a great job. Uh, if you haven't, everyone listening, if you have, if you're into audiobooks and you haven't checked out Steps to Deliverance on audiobook, make sure to, you know, grab that. Um, and then, um, Brandon, can you just give us a reminder? I know uh, uh, Ben mentioned it earlier, but where, if, if someone's interested in picking up um, uh, Scott's new book, uh, where are all the Wing Tassar Kings of War books sold? Uh, I know it's probably a couple places, but can you take us, give us a little, you know, where we can get get these books? Definitely. So um, it's kind of a pick your favorite retailer. Uh, most people will buy off of Amazon because it's the easiest and, you know, easiest to do really but if you want to fight against the giant corporation all the more power to you you can go to barnes and noble and even if that doesn't fit your fancy you can buy it directly from us at whpsupplyroom.com because the website's run by us uh, we kind of have a little bit more you know we kind of keep up on it a little bit more as far as uh, pre-orders and things like that so all the latest kings of war books that we have covers for uh, I try to upload and keep up to date. 
not all the currently announced books are listed just because we're trying not to have too many pre-orders too far in advance. Um, Barnes and Noble and Amazon get listed from Simon Schuster, so sometimes it's a little uh, laggy as far as updating on things. Uh, the audio, the ebook is currently available to download on all major retailers. We're waiting for the printer to not have so many uh, COVID-related issues, so that way we can get the book released on time. But right now, the printer is having a hard time printing a lot of books from a lot of different companies. So that's why uh, the physical book has been pushed back. We're hoping the end, uh, the middle to end of February we'll see a release. Right now, Amazon has it listed as March, but we're really hoping it's not going to take that long to come out. Yeah, I was just going to remind everyone that the ebooks, the one that's out, the physical copy you're saying is going to be is currently listed for March, but you're hoping for sooner. So that's good. To, that's good information to keep in mind for those. Um, I know I I struggle with ebooks sometimes, and I'm I'm right there with Jeremy. I love my audiobooks. I'll put those on when I'm painting or working on my my goblins because there's so many over there. But um, and uh, it helps. Can I just uh, make a brief comment here? Um, as far as uh, the books go, I, I should mention that. Uh, Broken Alliance has a number of very nice maps in it, um, and uh, they don't sometimes don't come out quite so well with the ebooks. Uh, the, the, there's just some formatting issues, but uh, so if, if if you you know want want the maps to be there in all their glory, definitely get pick up a, a paperback uh, copy when it when it comes out. And if I can piggyback onto that one, if you do download or buy the book and you enjoy it. Don't forget to leave a review because that helps us continue to put out more books. It helps reach more people. Leaving a review is the nicest thing you could do for any publisher or author. And I just think as you guys are a great company to support just on a, like a, um, uh, uh, creative ethical level or, or creative ethics. I love the fact that you guys give new writers opportunities. You know, we had Mike Rossi on the show just recently, you know, and he's working on a new dwarf book. I know that, you know, Ben was able to do his first novel. So I just really, um, and I haven't been on the show with you. So just personally, I like to say, I really love that idea of uh, encouraging, nurturing, and helping artists and creative people find outlets in, in an industry that I know from having known writers is incredibly difficult to break into. So I just think that that's so great and uh, a really good aspect of your guys' sort of vision uh, to give new writers uh, an opportunity to get their first start. Yeah, that's kind of um, that, that's like a personal philosophy for myself. Is that you know when I first started trying to get into writing, it was very 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 difficult to find anything. Um, actually, my first editor sat on my novel for almost two years and made one chapter of changes, and my agent that I had at the time did absolutely nothing to help me get it published. So I I was so frustrated with the whole publishing process, the whole writing process, the whole trying to figure out what I was, how to go about this. I, I kind of made it my own personal thing to try to help anybody who wants to write because anybody can be an author if they can put the pen to paper and they can continue to you know, dedicate on improving their craft. 
anybody can be a talented author. So I'm all about trying to help somebody who's interested in writing pursue that dream because it, it can happen. And we've picked up so many talented authors through that same process. So any, I always say, if you have a vision, if you have a dream, if you want to see, if you have an idea for a novel that you want to see come to life, you know, reach out to me and I can definitely try to work with you to make it happen. I'm really happy about, uh, I'm really excited to read the book and, uh, yeah, it, it seems like you've got a, we've got a good, good story ahead of us. And those of you that have, uh, well at this point, probably everybody that's listening has probably already read the book or if you didn't care about spoilers, it's, it's something to look forward to. I know I am. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break and on the other side, we'll come back and we'll do shout outs and wrap up the show. We'll be right back. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice, and you're listening to Zan Shen Fan Ji. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Counter Charge. And, and we are back. Well, awesome. Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, it was great to uh, have a chance to talk with Scott, talk with Brandon. Uh, I'm really excited to um, read uh, Scott's book when it's when it's out. Shout outs wise, let's start with you, Felix. Um, any shout outs or uh, stuff coming up on your sort of agenda? Uh, well, probably by the time this would have aired, we would probably be close to having or already had. Uh, it's called the Indie Storm uh, Storm Cell uh, Tournament. It's the uh, 12th and 13th of February in Indianapolis. Um, and there was an original is a uh, indie storm convention, but due to light of COVID and stuff like that, they've broken the convention up into a whole bunch of, like they said, what they call storm cells. And so it's just, you know, the RPG gamers having their own little thing, the war gamers having their own little event. So the Kings of War tournament has their own event. So we'll be having that. Uh, and then also Adepticon is still, you know, planning to happen uh, last third weekend in March, I'd like to say. Um, so that event's happening. Um, so shout out to, to, to people trying to sign up for that one. Uh, I just signed up for, I just registered for the Adepticon Clash of Kings tournament last, or last week. Oh man, it used to be, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, prior to the pandemic, there's this natural rhythm of we kind of knew when all the tournaments were happening and that's kind of been all thrown off the past few years. So, um struggling to remember i know lone wolf's coming up yeah it's like uh, a weird time vortex we, i was talking about this with my wife today as like it feels like the last two years have both been feels like a hundred years and also like a weekend all at the same right. time you know because well, like you say well it's like you know it's like you used to know when april you knew you had lone wolf and then adepticon was march and lady lake was in july and like you just kind of knew when events were happening um i think there's like a, a, like there's like a rhythm to the seasons and a rhythm to events and a rhythm to life right and that got i got severely um changed and kind of thrown up and then that to me has kind of i don't even know what season it is half the time <laughs> right and yeah, so California, i was like i was trying to it's... tell my wife like hey what what if, you know what what tournaments do i need to start signing up for and i was like oh, i don't know <laughs> um, well, if only there was a great website that had all the... Tra- wait, wait a minute, there is. Make sure you it go... There is. Wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> to, to kingsofwarmasters.com or KOW Masters. I always forget what it is, but make sure you check out the U.S. Masters website. It's got all the events. And if you're hosting an event, make sure you let them know about your event and 
um, they'll be happily to put it on the schedule, um, the calendar. So that's sort of Brian Brodeur's old uh, Kings of War tournament website's been kind of sucked into the Masters website. So if you're holding any events and you want press or you want support, not only uh, uh, submit them the website, your dates, but make sure you talk to me or talk to Rob or uh, uh, Kroger or Alex or anyone. If you want to come on and talk about your event, we're happy to host you. Host you guys. Right. Yeah. What about you? For, for, for the U.S., it is kingsofwarmasters.com. Okay, because the other one's the U.K. one. I know, because I always Correct. go to the U.K. one by accident, uh, which yeah, they have a great same. website, too, for the U.K. scene. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I've actually uh, – the Indie Storm that is on the Kings of War Ma- Masters website, I actually submitted that one on behalf of Michael Carter. So I can tell you it's fairly easy to do. Uh, it's just a simple form. You can put in, and it'll – automatically uploaded to the uh, the website so if you need to have your tournament organized you know tournament organizer reach out and, and post the website and for your tournament on there it's it's pretty easy will the felix castro utility belt be making an appearance at the indie storm yes and okay. probably actually be a little more useful since uh i'll probably be using a walker because okay ms <laughs> well awesome so then you'll have be able to have all your stuff in your um your uh, uh bat pouches so. oh yeah yeah, I'm going to need that. Cool. Um, what about you, Ben? What's uh, Any shout-outs? What's on your agenda coming up? Uh, let's see. I've The earliest one that I've got planned um, is Rose City Rumble in the first weekend in May, if I remember right. That's uh, Dan Wright's hosting that one in Portland. Um, he and Dustin made it out to refugees, and I definitely want to – pay that forward and go over there plus i've been meaning to make it to his event well since before the pandemic but things being what they are um so that one's i want to say may 7th and 8th i think that's yes, correct it is. It's, it's it's the beginning of may so i think it's what yeah. it's it's where that first weekend or whatever in may yeah it's may 7th and 8th in in may in portland uh, 2,300 points. Uh, then Dan is a very, uh, his tournament's very much by the book kind of thing. He likes to keep it as strategic as possible and, and not throw in all the, uh, the other things like additional special characters and stuff like that. But it's all, he's also borrowing a bit of that, uh, the prize fight kind of thing, you know, heavyweight boxing kind of thing. Uh, he was asking me about uh, um, trophy belts for for the prizes and stuff like that. So it, it's going to be a fun event. He always he he runs a really good event. Uh, he's he's a veteran TO, so he knows what he's doing and he he knows the game well. Oh so. man, that would be so cool because they have like the wrestling belts for TN, uh, TNT. That would be yeah. awesome if we had like a West Coast event. To have, oh, I got to tell him. I'm messaging him now saying that it's an amazing <laughs> idea. Um, but yeah, if you – yeah, Portland, amazing tournament, right? Portland is also a great food city. We always have the, the best food at uh, um, Rose City. Uh, we'll go out to this really amazing Gustav's, this German restaurant, yeah. and have schnitzel. It's phenomenal. It, it's amazing. Um, we'll usually go to fire on the mountain, which has like, uh, wings and fried Oreos. Our, our Portland is a big foodie town. So if you're into that, that tournament is like a great, it's like the perfect size tournament. Usually it's between, it's in the 20 ish range. So mm-hmm. we go to group dinners, you know, like, yeah. So that's a, a super fun tournament. If you've never been, been to that one. Yeah. It's a good time. 
and also the usual shout out, but I'm um, to Wingasar and and for them for publishing novels and fluff for us because man, it's something that well Mark can attest to since the early days of the campaign to get ki- Kings of War novels. Uh, it's it's a dream come true to see something come to fruition and not only to have a couple of novels, but several really good novels, not, not to toot my own horn as well there, you know, <clears throat> but, um, but some, some good novels and also just the, the plethora of novels that are planned and that are worked on and the amount of authors that they brought in. Uh, it's just a, it, it's a phenomenal job. I don't think we could have asked for a better, uh, publishing company or, or really a greater group of individuals involved with, with, bringing all of that to light so it's it's really awesome to see well thank you very much it's much appreciated it's been a very great pleasure working with all of you guys yeah any shout outs for you brandon or scott well i'm hoping to see everybody at adepticon really keep my fingers crossed that that goes through this year otherwise as always thanks for having me on the show it's always a pleasure to talk fluff talk about the novel process talk about you know the industry in general it's always a fun time and you know i'm always appreciative of everything the community does to support us and you know anything we can ever do for the community is always our pleasure how about you scott any uh, shout outs well the only uh uh activity i guess i'm going to it will be the uh, uh historicon convention in july uh wing Desar will be there as well i'll be there in my uh paper terrain persona but uh but I'll be there to, to, to sign novels if anyone buys them from uh, from Wing Hussar. And um, and again, uh, my, my thanks for being invited to be be on this uh, on the podcast here. Uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, I was um, glad to be able to talk a little bit about my novel. Yeah. Um, for everybody, go review his book. I mean, if you've read it. Uh uh, whatever it is, if you enjoy these kind of things, like Brandon already said, please, please go review uh, his book. Um, it helps Amazon to promote it more. It boosts sales. It helps in so many ways. Plus, it's always nice to, ha- to, to hear that people enjoyed the book. So please go and review Scott's book. Leave just a just a few sentences. Even even that helps. And and a couple of stars, whatever it is that you, that you want to do, but just doing that helps so much. And I, and I don't, and I know people mean to do it, but it just, it's, it's, it's so helpful when people do that. And, and honestly, even, even if you don't like the book, leave a review or reviews a review. <laughs> yeah. The, true. The, the algorithm is real, right? Absolutely. It is. And, it, and every, every review helps. It's all about that activity. Well, we got coming up as far as the show, uh, we got a bunch of great content coming out for you guys. Alex and Billy got together. They got an episode coming out, um, which is going to be great. Um, I am going to be doing the Twilight Kin Army review in my preparation to give Brandon my pitch for a Twilight Kin novel. So that Army review is going to be coming out, and we have some another very special guest returning from the the Countercharge family to record that episode. So I'm really excited about that. I know that. Uh, 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 we will have a Clash of Kings Australia would have happened by the time this you're listening to this episode. So Matt Croger is going to be releasing a bunch of great content from the uh, Clash of King Championship from Down Under. So stay tuned for that. And uh, like I said in the intro, going to save the best for last. Mr. Zelinsky, 
Uh, Mark, I'm so excited to have you back uh, helping us out with this show. Um, any shout outs for you, brother? Oh, absolutely. Jeremy, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be back here, especially in the workshop. So it's uh, it's fantastic. I had to drop that in there. Uh, anyways, uh, just a quick shout out for Adepticon once again. So uh, just take a look up at the website. 15 of the 16 tickets for Armada have already been sold, which is amazing. So that looks like it's going to be a pretty cool event. And uh, it looks like 19 of the 50 tickets for Clash of Kings have been sold. So, And you know me, I won't be playing it because it's two days and up. Spending all that time at Adepticon. But don't follow my lead, people. Go ahead and sign up for it. I will be around saying hi and stuff like that. So, But I'm really hoping that Adepticon is going to happen this year. Most definitely. And Brandon, I just wanted to uh, ask you real quick. Do you guys have a release schedule that's kind of banging around right now? Or uh, has COVID messed all that up? Yes and no. <laughs> I mean, COVID has severely, severely messed us up from, you know, there's a lot of avenues of COVID messing us up <laughs> uh, from the printer to just Vince and my, you know, daytime job to just little nitpicky things behind the scenes for Winchester Publishing. COVID has literally just thrown a monkey wrench into the entire system. Uh, the next novel I am in the last stages of editing is Rise of the Celestians by C.L. Werner. Uh, that's going to be a nice big prequel book for the Kings of War timeline. So that'll, you know, it, you won't necessarily be able to replicate any of the battles in that book. But if you're interested in how the world came to be and how the factions came to be, that's a must-read novel. And then we've got a couple that I have to play around with on what's releasing after that. We have uh, Rob Berman's Goblin King novel. We got Mark Barber's uh, dual release novels, the sequel to Steps to Deliverance. Or the, the second and third book in that series are releasing at the same time because their adventures are taking place at the same time. It's a new um, thing we're going to try doing. And Mark himself requested if we try it. So we're going to give it a shot. And I've got Infinity of the Game. I have to work on the first novel of that by Mark Barber as well. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I got to just try to find the time to do it. <laughs> awesome. Sounds great. Well, cool, fellas. Again, thanks for coming in and make sure. Oh, to real check. quick, Jeremy. I had a quick question. Oh, yeah. Go for it, buddy. Brandon, uh, which novel do you think is going to come out next? Claws on the Plane or? Um, unfortunately, James' novel got pushed back just because of. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I think the last time I was on the show, having to have the Mantic Mantic requested novels get re, uh, released first. So we had to push back the standalone novels just because we had to get the Mantic approved novels out first. Um, Rise of the Celestians is next to come out. James's novel is on my editing block. I've started, I've gotten about halfway through it, but I had to shift it around a little bit. So uh, TBD. But Rise of Celestians is definitely the next one. Uh, and any thought on Rossi's Dwarf novel? When we might expect to see that? Also TBD. Uh, TBD. I'm hoping okay. it's going to be released somewhere in the same time as the novel that Ben's working on, which we've kind of, I, I've teased in the past, it's going to be a dwarf novel of some sort, because Ben's novel is a Manta Commission novel. But uh, I don't have details of the exact date yet. Probably sooner rather than later, but I can't give an exact date yet. There you go. Yeah, I forgot you just mentioned that Rise of the Celestians is coming out. And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I've been really enjoying it. So I'm really looking forward to the book club episode on that one. So, you know, uh, we'll definitely have to get uh, Clint on the show and uh, definitely do another one of these deep dive episodes. Definitely. I'm always game. 
for sure. Well, also, Mark, uh, uh, why don't you uh, uh, show us, uh, us uh, young whippersnappers how to do it and take us out? <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you all for listening. And until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.